Welcome to The Markets, Dateline, Chicago, Illinois, Friday, July 3rd, the day before the 4th of July holiday. But markets are closed today as we observe the birthday of America. And we're going to spend our time together, as we do every week, just taking a look at markets from Wall Street to livestock feedlots to wheat fields and everything else in between. We do it every week, and I do appreciate your company and uh, hope that I can add to your knowledge of what continues to be very confusing market prices. But again, the big deciding source is COVID-19. So let's take a look, first of all, at where the markets traded as we ended the trading week on Thursday. Wall Street closed higher. The Nasdaq reached an all-time closing high yesterday as investors headed it to their long holiday weekend, helped by a record surge in payrolls, which provided some assurance the U.S. economic recovery is underway. All three major U.S. stock averages advanced yesterday with the benchmark S&P 500 posting its fourth straight daily gain. The massive stimulus and hopes for a speedy economic rebound have returned the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ up 7.6% and 12.6% below their record highs reached in February. And those indices registered strong gains for the week. So as we look at some of the factors besides COVID-19, but that overshadows everything, the U.S. economy added 4.8 million jobs in June, according to the Labor Department. That's 1.8 million more than analysts had expected, setting a second consecutive record. Massive rehiring sent the unemployment rate down to 11.1%. One analyst said there was a lot to like in economic data for the week, and there's still talk that there will be more stimulus from Washington after they get back from the 4th of July break. Still, even with May and June's consecutive record payroll gains, the labor market has still recovered only a fraction of the 22 million jobs that were lost in the plunge that took place in March and April. The recovery of the U.S. economy, now in its sixth month of recession, could stall as new cases of COVID-19 hit record levels and several states hit hardest by the resurgence either halted or reversed plans to reopen their economies. Thursday, Florida reported a record-shattering 10,000 new cases of the disease. That's worse than any European country reported at the peak of their outbreaks. And again, the analyst said with the spikes in new COVID-19 cases, we've seen the larger states, Texas, California, and Florida. Those states have taken steps to turn back their reopening plans, and that would slow the overall growth in consumer spending in those regions. In the coming weeks, market participants will train their focus on second quarter reporting season. In aggregate, analysts now expect that S&P earnings have dropped by 43 percent 
as companies grapple with plunging demand and disrupted supply chains. So for the day yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 92 points, that's 36%, to end the holiday-shortened trading week at 25827 The S&P 500 gained 14 points, or 45 uh, uh, a half a percent to 31.30, and the NASDAQ composite added 53 points, or 52 percent, uh, or I should say half a percent, to 10,207. The CBOE Volatility Index, the barometer of investor anxieties, logged its largest weekly point drop since the week ending May 8th. And of the 11 major sectors in the S&P 500 yesterday, all but real estate and communication services closed higher, with materials enjoying the largest percentage gain. Microsoft provided the biggest boost to the S&P 500 and in June retained its top spot as the most globally invested stock. Tesla jumped 8% yesterday after the electric car maker's second quarter vehicle delivery beat Wall Street estimates. But probably the biggest news for today that will impact the markets when they reopen on Monday is this story. The European Commission said today it had given conditional approval for the use of antiviral remdesivir in severe COVID-19 patients following an accelerated review process making it the region's first authorized therapy to treat the virus. The move comes just a week after the European Medicines Agency gave its go-ahead for the drug produced by Gilead Sciences to be used in adults and adolescents from the um, uh, one, from 12 years of age who are also suffering from pneumonia and who in, require oxygen support. And it also comes just days after the company allocated nearly all of its supply of remdesivir to the United States over the next three months, and that stirred some concerns about availability elsewhere. But uh, the uh, Commissioner for the Health and Food Safety in the European Union said we will leave no stone unturned in our efforts to secure efficient treatments or vaccines against the coronavirus. Still, because remdesivir is given intravenously over at least a five-day period, It's generally being used on patients sick enough to require hospitalization. Some of the other reports and stories that made news this week. Well, before we look at those, let's look at the oil closing price and the final trading day in the United States yesterday. And oil prices up more than 2% because of that jobs report. Brent crude futures settled at $43.14 a barrel, up a dollar eleven cents, And the U.S. crude futures settled at $40.65 a barrel. That's up $0.83 cents a barrel, or a little more than 2%. Some of the other reports that did have an impact on the marketplace this week, 
The U.S. economy created jobs at a record clip in June as more restaurants and bars resumed operations, but subsequent increases in COVID-19 numbers probably will turn some of those states around in their plans to reopen because some of the states have already been forced to. But non-farm payrolls increased by 4.8 million jobs in June, according to the Labor Department. That was the most since the government started keeping records in 1939. Economists polled by Reuters had forecast payrolls increasing by 3 million jobs in New and uh, in June, but uh, the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell this week acknowledged the rebound in activity, saying the economy had entered an important new phase and had done so a little sooner than expected. The unemployment rate fell to 11% last month, down from 13% in May, and employment is increasing Uh, in companies uh, that rehire workers laid off when non-essential businesses like restaurants, bars, gyms, and dental offices, among others, were closed to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Interesting news from Sears. Golly, at one time that Sears catalog was the Bible for rural America as well as many of the cities. But, of course, it's uh, downsizing considerably. And this week, Sears announced it's exploring a sale of its home improvement business following interest from potential buyers such as private equity firms. The struggling U.S. retailer's Sears Home Services Division has emerged as a coveted asset during the pandemic. The division is one of the department store operator's few crown jewels following its bankruptcy in 2018 and its $5.2 billion sale to hedge fund manager Eddie Lampert. And other notes, U.S. trade deficit uh, widened in May. Again, blame the COVID-19 pandemic as it pushed exports to their lowest level Since 2009, the Commerce Department said yesterday the trade deficit increased 9.7%. Economists had expected the trade gap would widen to $53 billion in May, but exports tumbled 4.4% to its lowest since November of 2009, and travel restrictions weighed on exports of services, which fell to $50. $54.5 billion. That's the lowest level since December of 2011. But there was some bright news for Tesla this week. Tesla outpaced analyst estimates for second quarter vehicle deliveries, defying a trend of plummeting sales in the wider auto industry as again because of the pandemic. But the unexpected delivery numbers came a day after Tesla became the highest-valued automaker, surpassing the market capitalization of former front-runner Toyota Motor Corporation. And the rally on Thursday further widened Tesla's, Tesla's lead over legacy automakers as investors grow confident in its ability to define 
in the industry's electric and software-driven future. So that's a look back at what's happened uh, this past week. Again, the pandemic is the main factor in what's going on in the uh, commercial world. But as we look ahead, on Monday, a report from the Institute for Supply Management expected to show its U.S. non-manufacturing activity index rose to a rating of 49.5 in June. That would be up from 45.4 in May. And IAHS Market scheduled to release its final composite and services PMI data for June. That will happen on Monday. Then as we look at the rest of next week, Thursday, the Labor Department scheduled to release initial jobless claims numbers for the week ended July 4th. Wholesale inventory data due on the same day expected to fall 1.2% in May. And consumer credit is forecast falling $17.5 billion in May after falling $68.7 billion in April. Tuesday, Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta President Raphael Bostic expected to participate in a conversation, a virtual conversation, before the Tennessee Business Roundtable webinar. Tuesday, Dockers khaki maker uh, Levi Strauss expected to post a decline in second quarter revenue hit by temporary store closures. It's also likely to post a loss compared with a profit a year earlier, and so investors will be watching that stock carefully. That's about it as far as the uh, market uh, company reports are expected next week. There'll be reports from Canada to the north and from Mexico as we catch up on the impact of the COVID-19 situation to the economies of those two countries. Which, by the way, the other thing that happened this week, after years of working on it, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement went into effect on the 1st of July, and we'll watch that one because already there are criticisms of it coming. The Mexican president expected to meet with the President Trump at the White House this week, and uh, the uh, Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau, has already expressed some concerns about the agreement that finally is in effect. So we'll take a look at the agricultural markets when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Jim McCormick from agmarket.net is joining us. Jim, thanks for taking the time to chat today. 
Thank you for having me on. Uh, uh, we've got some exciting times to talk about in these markets finally. Well, we certainly do. Things have definitely changed. The planted acreage report was released earlier in the week by USDA, and it appears to have shaken some things up. Jim, 92 million acres of corn in the ground this year, changing some balance sheets, I would imagine. It is definitely changing it. I mean, we came in here thinking we had just this abundant supply of grain. Now you take 92 million acres, 5 million off of from where we were in March including about a 1% drop in harvested acres. Now you're looking at about a billion bushel less supply. So it tightened up that balance sheet, and hence the hot weather coming in is going to make it a little more uh, critical to watch to see how pollination goes this year. Well, that's the thing, Jim. And when you look at the uh, the numbers that USDA is throwing around out there, are most traders still assuming trend line yield at this part of the year, or are they already starting to ratchet it up or down? What are you hearing? Well, right now, I think coming into this heat, a lot of people are talking trend above trend, 180, 182 yield. With this heat coming in, what's probably going to do is you're going to take some of the top end off of this crop, but we're not going to essentially drop it down dramatically. So uh, what I think is going to happen is you, with this heat this week, instead of maybe 180, 182 yield, you're going to bring it back to trend. If the heat kicks in for another two weeks, then you're going to start talking stuff trend yields. Well, one of the things we have been talking about for the past several weeks was this managed money short position that it built up in the corn market. We've now seen, uh, really, since Tuesday, a huge move to the upside in corn. Are the shorts getting blown out? Are we going to see more move to the upside? They are getting blown out is a good way to put it. They've uh, Looks like they've blown out about a third of their position. They were estimating them short just about 200,000 contracts going into this holiday weekend. If this heat continues, I would expect them to continue to blow out and maybe get to back to a neutral position at least. Now, the other side of the balance sheet, we've got supply, we've got demand. We did have export reports out uh, on Thursday of this past week. A little disappointing on the corn side. What is the trade thinking about corn exports before we get to harvest? Right now, the market's definitely a little bit leery. The demand's not there. We did get one bright note today. There was rumors of China buying corn here the last couple of weeks, um, maybe from the U.S. or Ukrainian origin. We did sell a little over 200,000 corn to Ukraine, uh, China. It was announced this morning. And that's a good sign. What we've seen from China recently is they've been selling out of their state reserves the last six weeks, total 24 million metric tons. So it's a good opportunity for us to see them come in and buy our corn because they're selling that grain out of the reserves at five-year highs, and they can buy our corn relatively cheap. All right. Well, we've also seen them making purchases of soybeans over the past several weeks. Soybeans also had the planted acreage number come in lower than expectations. When you're looking at the soybean market, particularly the weird note that USDA made in this report that we've got 83 and change million acres of beans, but of that, 12 million were yet to be planted when the report was uh compiled. Jim, how is the trade interpreting that figure? Well, I think it interpreted, it's a little bit odd they did it, but I think they took so much flack last year for trying to decide where the acres were and were not planted. I think that was a way to, for them to kind of get ahead of the curve. But what it shows you, potentially, if those acres did not get planted, and there's, a, I think, a legitimate problem that could have because of the wet spring we had, that bean balance sheet's going to tighten up. We've already got stocks projected below $400 million. That could tighten it up and really give this bean market, bean market a boost if we happen to have a weather play in late August. So how much more can we get a boost here in beans given the overall supply and demand scenario? We've seen a big move to the upside. Jim, how much higher can we run? I think you got another, I think you got a shot at 950 is where you're shot. And then if the weather really kicks in, I think you can get to 10. China's still going to be the wild card. You know, is China going to, you know, will they, they follow through on this phase one deal? And in all likelihood it is, it seems like, and they would. I think, it, you know, the pieces are there for a nice little run, hopefully. How much is demand from China going to need to uh, carry us up to that $10? 
Yeah, to get to that $10 level, we're going to have the market feel like we've got some bean yield drop, and a one or two bushel drop off the trend will definitely kind of get them excited. And it is going to be the China demand is the key. They are the big buyer of beans in the world. But if you look at what's going on right now, we've got a major pandemic is still wreaking havoc with the U.S. It's wreaking havoc with Brazil. I got to believe if you're the Chinese, you do not want to put all your eggs in the Brazilian basket. You're going to want to essentially get some of your beans from the Brazilians, some of the beans from the United States. So I think that puts us in a prime opportunity to continue to see that bean sales expand. Not to mention the phase one trade deal. There's been a lot of political push on both countries saying they are going to fulfill that deal. So I think this just kind of helps it was a reason for China to expect China to continue to buy, hopefully. Now, domestically, where do you see bean demand going? Of course, exports, huge component of bean pricing, but domestic demand is also huge. We've got a lot of questions raised with livestock over this past year. What are your thoughts here on domestic crush demand? I am a little bit concerned about the domestic need for beans. I mean, the fact of the matter is this livestock industry is in a horrible position. The hog industry is really getting beat up bad. I've had a lot of customers tell me or hear stories. There's you know barns that are closing. There's several customers. Customers we've talked to that here guys are getting out of the hog industry as we go to the end of the summer. And that is going to be a little bit of a hit for bean meal demand, hence bean demand. So this China deal is important. We've got to get this phase one deal completed and keep China buying our beans. Well, this past week, we also saw the wheat market rally not nearly as strongly as corn or soybeans. But was the wheat rally fundamentally driven or is this just spillover support coming from uh, corn and bean buyers? At this point, it's a little bit more spillover. I, I think more than anything else, as the bean market and the corn market exploded, it pulled the wheat higher. But we're having heat, heat issues here in the United States. That's having an effect a little bit. But we're also having heat issues in parts of the other parts of the world, the Black Sea region of the world. So you're putting a little bit of supply risk back into the market. The key to the U.S. right now is exports. We've got to keep the dollar a little bit weaker, and that'll bring more wheat demand to our more export demand to our wheat market. Well, we're talking demand. It is the Independence Day holiday here in the U.S. this weekend. And uh, we expect to see some folks out there firing up those grills. The livestock industry could really use the assistance. When you take a look at live cattle pricing, Jim, where do you think we go from here? Well, right now, I think we're struggling. I think we're really kind of in a sideways market at this point in time. The box beef market, we know, exploded higher, kind of priced a lot of people out of the market. It's kind of free fall back to, back to down where we were close to low in February. Hopefully that will stimulate some demand. But the fact of the matter is we're going to struggle in this beef industry until we get this oversupply of protein off our shores or consumed. So it's going to be a few more months of sideways to maybe a slightly lower trade, I fear. Well, when you look at trends, there has been a very clear trend in the lean hog market. You touched on the challenges that the pork industry is facing. This move to the downside in hogs. Jim, are the futures getting close to a bottom or at least a, a level of support they might try to test? I think you're down to levels where people are going to try to buy. We're getting down near these lows. Um, like I said, the phase one deal is kicking in. I think China is going to probably come in and start buying some of these hogs. And you're going to get to the point where hogs are cheap enough. It will bring the consumer back in. So, yeah, you're eventually going to do it. And the futures market's going to try to project out also. you got to remember, Mike, as we start looking out, we start seeing less and less hogs being, you know, barns running. You're going to see these guys looking for a reason to buy into the buy into agriculture. Inflation, I think, is going to be a real problem for Amer- for Americans originally. We're going to see a lot of but the printing we're seeing the government, plain and simple, that tends to bring inflation. When people fear inflation, they tend to buy commodities. So in general, that should be good for livestock, grains, everything. All right. Well, Jim McCormick, agmarket.net. Thanks. As we look at some of the other stories that impacted agriculture this week, 
week, there was activity on Capitol Hill that may benefit the food chain. House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson of Minnesota and former Chairman Frank Lucas of Oklahoma joined several other legislators this week to introduce the Requiring Assistance to Meat Processors for Upgrading Plants Act. This legislation would establish a program to make facility upgrade and planning grants to existing meat and poultry processors to help them move to federal inspection and be able to sell their products across state lines. And the legislation also will require USDA to work with states and report on ways to improve the existing cooperative interstate shipment program. Chairman Peterson said, We have seen the importance of having meat and poultry processors of all sizes across the country over the past few months, and he said the act, known as the Ramp Up Act, will provide grants to help these rural small businesses to meet that demand wherever their customers live. Chairman Peterson went on to say, right now, America's meat producers and processors are facing unprecedented market challenges at a time when producers are experiencing increased demand for high-quality meat. Meat processors across the United States are racing to increase their capacity to meet the demands of consumers and producers. That according to Congressman Lucas. And the National Pork Producers Council, again, urging Capitol Hill to provide some physical and financial assistance for the livestock and poultry industry. And so they introduced legislation this week, along with some other members of the House and the Senate, to a bill that would compensate hog and poultry producers who are forced to euthanize or donate animals that can't be processed into the food supply due to COVID-related packing plant capacity reductions. And uh, the bill would also increase funding for animal health surveillance and laboratories, which have appropriately assisted and shared resources with their public health partners as well. And finally, the Commodity Credit Corporation Charter So a pandemic-driven national emergency would qualify for pending uh, and funding for the continued demand on financial resources to bring those uh, meat and poultry processing plants up to scale. But, you know, there was another interesting story this week that uh, talked about what I call an agricultural uh, industry that's often not thought about as an agricultural industry. That's the horse racing industry, thoroughbreds and the uh, harness racing, and they have been shut down because of the virus, putting an end to a lot of betting, which helps to fund state budgets. But then there's another one that I hadn't thought about. That's the rodeo industry. In my state of Illinois, for example, about 70 county fairs have been canceled that would have hosted rodeos. One processor or rodeo owner in Chicago has said that none of the 10 rodeos his company had scheduled for this summer 
will go on joining other Illinois rodeos called off because of the coronavirus and the events often part of county fairs or groups annual fundraising can draw thousands of spectators that would help with that fun uh, situation. Uh, One member of the rodeo community said, July is known as Cowboy Christmas because you can go to a rodeo every day and sometime you can hit multiple rodeos in a single day. But that industry, too, uh, pretty much shut down because of the county fair cancellations and the other special event cancellations, many of them in western states and midwestern states that uh, feature the rodeo fun and activities and generate good-sized crowds to come and enjoy the rodeo. So as we take a look at going back to a five-day trading week, let's check the uh, prices that will start off the week on Monday when the trading will resume. Let's go to the uh, Chicago Board of Trade first of all because yesterday... At the close for the day and the week, the July wheat contract down 12 and a quarter cents a bushel, trading at $4.90. July corn down five and three quarter cents at 3.42 and a half a bushel. And the August soybean contract unchanged, but September soybeans were down half a cent, ending the way week at $8.95 and a quarter cents a bushel. And livestock futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Yesterday, the August lean hog contract down just two cents a hundredweight. And uh, they ended the week at $48.05. The August live cattle contract, though, gained $2.75 yesterday to close at $110.05 a hundredweight. And the August feeder cattle contract up $2.82, ending the week at $135.90 a hundredweight. So I hope you all had an enjoyable, warm, and safe 4th of July. Thank you for listening. We look forward to joining you again next week at this same time on The Markets.